Hello, and welcome to the JD Power 2023 Retail Customer Experience Trends Podcast Series. I'm Rich Bongiorno, Senior Managing Director from JD Power, and joining me today is Cody Wright and Young Han from Plumeria. Today, we're going to discuss customer expectations with the retail and in-person experience. Cody and Young, thank you for joining today. Thanks for having us on again. Uh, this has uh, been a great experience so far. Yeah, thank you so much. Excited to be here. Great. And I hope you guys are doing well today. It's uh, it's another rainy day here in Southern California. We, uh, I can't keep count of the number of atmospheric rivers we've had in the past few months. <laughs> but but I'm not, I haven't floated away yet. So all, all is good. <laughs> you guys are getting some strange weather there. Yeah. It's like, it's like unbelievable. It is. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started here. So during the pandemic, customers lowered their expectations and gave a pass to brands showing empathy and patience, given the circumstances and the challenges that everyone was facing at the time. Right. Well, those times have passed. And as we've emerged from the pandemic and worked our way back to a kind of a quote unquote normalcy, customers have shifted their expectations back to pre-pandemic levels. And let's face it, brands are struggling to keep up. Now, if you add in the effects of high employee attrition, especially at that retail level, uh, the effects of inflation, increased interest rates, and an unclear economic market, you know, we've got a very challenging retail environment ahead of us here. So, you know, in terms of customer expectations, we know that based on our JD Power cross industry retail benchmark data, that brands are struggling just to get the basic blocking and tackling right. So, for example, we measure customer satisfaction with the retail experience on a 100 to 1,000 point scale, with 1,000 being the highest score a brand can achieve. And we know that table stakes, such as things such as a customer having to wait more than five minutes to be greeted or helped by a frontline employee, negatively impact satisfaction by as much as 100 plus points. And in addition to that, when frontline staff does not listen carefully to the customer, satisfaction drops by as much as 166 points, severely impacting loyalty and advocacy. So, you know, Cody and Young, let's spend some time discussing the struggle brands are having with this basic blocking and tackling. You know, my experience and belief is, is that part of this is, you know, due to the revolving door of employee hiring, training and attrition. And that's, you know, having a, a pretty big impact here. Um, Young, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a huge component of it. Um, I definitely think that the retention of a staff is getting trickier and trickier. There's just so many factors that go into retaining staff right now. And um, it really is the new the new battleground for retailers is how do you retain staff? Because um, the opposite side of that stick is that, you know, recruiting is equally, if not harder. And so you really, really need to leverage your retention skills here because it's still going to be the the cheaper way to uh, operate your business and retail operation. And I completely agree with your thesis there and um, feel that like it's just a strange time and there's a lot of factors, but um, retention is going to be going to be the real big battlefront the next year or two. Mm -hmm. 
And Cody, what about your thoughts? You know, what do you think about some of the basic blocking and tackling that brands are starting to deliver right now and kind of, you know, how that impacts customer experience, especially in light of customer expectations returning back to uh, pre-pandemic levels? Yeah, I think all those things that you mentioned, such as, uh, you know, being greeted at the door, uh, you know, um, waiting more than five minutes, all those types of things, uh, they're directly tied to the retention issue that Yama was talking about. Um, you know, when, when we look at, you know, economics and we look at pandemics and all sorts of things, you know, it's, it's sort of the people are the first thing to go. People, uh, the companies feel like, well, we got to sort of batten down the hatches, go bare bones, and so on and so forth. I think, though, that's a missed opportunity many times. Uh, if, if you actually invest in people at that point, you can actually uh, really positively benefit your business and um, uh, combat that retention uh, crisis, essentially, that's happening. Uh, a lot of companies are reporting you know, record turnover rates uh, within retail stores, and it's because... Um, there's just not enough incentive. There's uh, the, the, too much uncertainty to really treat a job like that as something long-term or that you want to stick around for. And therefore, you're constantly being greeted by new employees who have had uh, inadequate training. And that's why wait times accelerate. That's why people aren't greeted at the door. That's why when a customer asks a question, uh, the average retail employee can't answer it. Um, or maybe he doesn't even have an interest in answering it because maybe they're so frustrated about uh, the employee conditions and so forth. So people are usually the first thing to go in this type of environment. But I would double down and say that people is where you should really invest your money um, over anything at this point. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, some of what we're seeing in the market and in working with clients is that you know, when it comes to trying to retain employees to, to manage customer expectations and to execute against that, it's when you look at incentives, it's, it's not simply just incentivizing your frontline staff to deliver from a sales perspective, right? Now, granted, sales is the ultimate goal, and that is critically important in a retail environment, but it's also important to look at the customer care and service side, because depending on the industry that you're serving, a lot of customers may be coming into the retail environment for a specific level of support. And I think it's important. And what we've seen is, is that those who do it well to, to work towards and work hard towards incentivizing their frontline staff, right, to meet customer expectations, are also looking at incenting, incenting staff when it comes to customer service and customer care, making sure that they focus on addressing customer needs when they come into the location, solving their issues and making sure that the customer has a clear understanding and that they set expectations appropriately to address their needs before they leave the location. So I think a lot of folks jump to incenting on the purchase experience, but it's just as important, if not more important, from a loyalty and advocacy perspective to also make sure you focus on the right incentives on uh, providing the right level of customer care and customer service. Yeah, I, I if I can just uh, add to that, I also think that it, it's it's exactly true. But there's also a lot more around like taking um, a listen at what's incentivizing our employees as well, right? So mm-hmm. you know, cross pollinating the incentives for our customers and making sure the incentives align for that customer experience, and then also trying to like take into consideration what the current staff and the current um, retail teams are also looking for. It's changing so rapidly. 
And um, the market is swifting, uh, shifting and swifting so fast. And it's super important to collect this data point on a more regular cadence versus like these annual ENP, you know, or whatever you call, you know, whatever system you use to track your employee satisfaction and health. Um, I think we typically see these happen, you know, annually. And I think we need to get to a point where we're doing these almost monthly, if not weekly. Yeah, absolutely. It is a best practice to make sure that you're keeping a pulse on not just your customer's uh, level of satisfaction and engagement, but you're also your employee's level of satisfaction and engagement uh, on a more frequent and regular basis. So you can stay ahead of potential pitfalls and challenges that you may uh, that may come up and you do not want to be blindsided uh, from that respect as a as a brand. So so Cody and Young, when, when it comes to if we think about moving up the maturity curve, you know, moving past the basic blocking and tackling, you know, customers expect the following from brands today, right? They expect a level of personalization, right? Um, you know, in-store personalization is becoming increasingly important as customers expect a customized experience that meets their individual needs. You know, we'll talk more about this in just a few moments, but that also ties into, you know, what we call the omni-channel or blended channel experience. Whereas if a customer begins their journey or their experience online or digitally on their mobile phone or app, that when they come into that retail environment, that that follows them there. And it's a seamless and frictionless transition to that in-person experience. Um, you know, that ties into convenience uh, and technology integration. And then, you know, lastly, um, you know, health and safety continues to be a uh, heart of mind for, for many consumers these days. So making sure that um, you know, as we do move past the pandemic and we get back to normal that, you know, we don't completely forget about that and the importance there. And then also what's becoming increasingly important is getting to the sustainability. Customers are increasingly conscious about the environmental impact of their purchases, and they expect brands to demonstrate their commitment to sustainability through their in-store practices, right? Or their in-person practices. Um, so, you know, kind of jumping into that, um, Cody and Young, kind of what are your thoughts when it comes to, you know, personalization and how that crosses into convenience and like I was talking about the omnichannel experience? I think, uh, I, th I think you hit the nail on the head right at the start uh, in the introduction to the podcast when you were talking about, you know, there were sort of pre-pandemic expectations, then the pandemic happened, everybody sort of retreats to remote shopping or, uh, amongst other remote activities and now they're starting to come back to the stores. I think there's really two reasons, two big drivers that I would guess uh, are, are really behind people returning to the stores. One is just to actually see products in person and to maybe notice something that you wouldn't have noticed scrolling through a website. I was shopping with my daughter a couple weeks ago. Uh, she was looking for a gift for her friend's birthday party and I took her to the mall and I realized wow, it's been so long since I've been here and you can just kind of walk around and actually see stuff or like feel the material or instead of trying to figure out what color it is in a photo, you can actually see the color in real life. Like all these things we used to take for granted uh, before the pandemic. So that's one of the things. And then the other thing is exactly what you're talking about, that personalization and that convenience. Um, and, and because people learned how to shop online, uh, they they don't want to have to start that experience all over again when they come back to the store. In many ways, the online experience is much more convenient. It's just for very specific things that I might need or I might want to know or I might need help with, that's when I would come to the store. And that's where that personalization comes into place. 
which really ties again back to your employees, you know? Um, so for the two main reasons people are coming in are for that customized experience and support and so forth. And then the product, people don't really, you know, um, cheap out on the product or cut down on the product so much. Uh, in fact, maybe you want to get more products out there to see if you can convert more sales. Um, but they really tend to cut down on the quality of the people that they've hired, the training that they invest in them, uh, so on and so forth. And so you're really letting like one giant uh, leg of that stool fall when you do that. I, I, I kind of disagree a little bit in the sense that I think that companies right now are struggling to just retain people. And so the focus and expenditure of resources is going into recruiting people. And I think that we could get more out of our people if, you know, we were able to, you know, retain talent and keep them in position. There is to see, there does seem to be a huge spike in this, in this rotating and rotating door of retention here. And if we can figure out like, you know, switch the game a little bit and really focus on retention, I think that you would have to spend less money on recruiting, which would then allow for more resources to be spent again, more on retention and retaining the staff and then training them up to provide those services. But I think a lot of companies are uh, are trying to do those things. I don't think they're intentionally trying to sacrifice the people. I just think that they have set ways and set budgets for these departments and they're not reacting fast as fast as the um, the trends are, are, are changing. And, and Young, when you think about that, when you think about, uh, you know, the evolving customer expectations, are there any brands that come to mind that you think are doing a, a okay job or a pretty good job today at trying uh, at meeting customer expectations? I mean, I, I have to bring up Starbucks. I just, I mean, I visited like, I don't know, I like to work in Starbucks is when I'm, you know, going in between meetings and it's a great spot for, you know, dependable cup of coffee and all those other good things. But I mean, I may be just in my Austin area, but like every retailer struggling to hire people yet, all those Starbucks that I've seen here, at least in my local area, are all overstaffed. They have full staff and um, they have signs and, you know, they have the things on their community boards that they're looking. But I always ask, you know, I always ask staff at retail locations when I visit them, like, hey, how's it going with hiring? How's it going with staffing? And it seems like the local Starbucks are doing well with staffing their stores. And um, and then they're able to basically retain and um, work on retention and obviously quality of experience. But uh, I'm not entirely sure like what they've changed in their processes or if they've adapted much, but uh, it is a really interesting anomaly because literally the next door over, you get a really bad experience because there's just not enough people in the restaurant or like literally next door to the Starbucks, there is a, you know, a sporting goods store and there's like not enough people covering the floor. And so all the, all the equipment's everywhere and disarrayed. And it's just, um, it's really interesting, really, really interesting. <laughs> How about yourself, Cody? Yeah, that's 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 where I would you know agree with what uh, Young is saying. I, I do think there is a big split, and I think uh, maybe in some of my comments earlier, I was thinking more about a lot of those locations where it just seems short staffed. And I would say a lot of the um, slightly larger retailers, where you know, like if you go into an Origins, for example, it's feasible that one, maybe two people can cover that store at a time. Uh, so you can get away with having a few people in there and still have a decent experience. Once you get to where maybe you need like eight to 10 employees on the floor, um, that's where you really start to notice a difference. Um, I had an experience uh, actually um, at, at Christmas time where I was shopping for a gift 
And uh, I started my experience online. So, you know, talking about omni-channel, I saw that this uh, item that I wanted to get was available for a curbside pickup, but I decided, eh, I want to look at a few of the things that they have in the store um, while I'm there. So I'm just going to go and get it. So I went and it was clear that, you know, with the crowds and so on and so forth, there just weren't enough people at this store. And it's a, it's a reputable craft store um, that you would know if I said who they were. And uh, the employees were running around uh, frantically uh, stressed, uh, so on and so forth. And I asked, I couldn't find this thing. So I asked, like, where would this be? And they said, if we have it, it will be in that aisle over there, which is an aisle I've been down, you know, 20 times before I asked. Uh, I couldn't find it. So standing in the store, I went back to the website, placed the curbside order. Uh, and by the time I got back to my car in the parking lot, the order was ready for me. <laughs> um, so it's this really interesting thing where, um, yeah, I do, I do think uh, that type of staffing makes all the difference. And then, you know, to those points about retention, really making sure people are trained up well and that they have what they need. I think, you know, uh, I think when, Companies are feeling the pinch. I know with like a lot of uh, uh, mobile companies, this can be true. Uh, they they start to um, ramp up the metrics um, on their employees and say, we need more of this. We need more of this. We need you to close more of those sales. We need you to attach more of those accessories, so on and so forth. And it's really because they're pursuing that one side, which is the sales. And they're really not they're really not thinking about the pressure that that's putting on the employee, especially when they're functioning in a in a staffing shortage. Agreed. I love that because the reality now is that it's not just about the retail sales uh, channel like everything is. I mean, especially if you're talking about big box, but even small box um, retail has now changed so much back to your original comment, um, Rich, is mm -hmm. that. People can now buy these things in so many different ways. So by incentivizing it in an old fashioned way of saying, hey, like in the retail stores, your incentives are to sell, sell, sell. It's like it's actually doing a huge disservice in multiple ways. One, it's incentivizing, you know, the wrong experience for the customer. It's incentivizing the employee in a way that's not maybe uh, matching their needs as an employee uh, in this market. But lastly, the customer experience may actually just be what Cody just said. His intentions were to actually just do research and buy it online because they also have an online channel now, like everyone else has. And so I think that there's like this whole aspect of omni-channel that we have not fully soaked in yet. And there are some really great brands that are doing this really well. And they're setting the expectations like Amazon's doing this really, really well, where they have this like seamless experience between Whole Foods and their bookstore and their online and, 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 and like Audible. I mean, you name, I mean, they're conglomerate at this point, but like the experience is fairly seamless and it's all done through your Amazon login. And so whether you're that or not, the expectation has now been drawn up to a much higher level because consumers now are expecting, even if they don't expect it, there's the perceived expectation subliminally that they want that level of uh, experience from their retail purchasing. You know, I, I'd, I'd love to add a piece to that too, which is, um, Rich sort of adding to your list of things like personalization, convenience, so on and so forth. Um, I, I think in some ways what a lot of people are looking for, even if they don't realize it, the underlying uh, component of that experience is sort of like a, a confidence, right? We, do, we don't have a lot of confidence when it comes to, you know, the, the Fed is making... Uh, 
changes now and an announcements pretty much as we're recording this, I believe, you know, that are causing a lot of uncertainty or people are wondering where the market's going. If you walk into a store and you see that things are sort of in shambles and that there aren't enough people to take care of you, it, it, it sort of gives you this sense of, should I actually be doing this shopping, you know, in, in the first place or are we in a really bad place? Whereas when you walk into a place like Young mentioned, where you have the Starbucks and it's fully staffed and everybody's happy and they're all taking care of their customers and providing the right experience. It, it, it sort of gives you a, a, an escape from that feeling. And you sort of think like, yeah, I am supposed to be here. I am going to get that latte, so on and so forth. And so there is definitely this component of just almost, I mean, it, it, it sounds sort of crazy, but Almost by just making sure you're staffed well and that there's a happy, healthy, tidy, clean environment in your store. Um, you know, you mentioned that health and safety component and, you know, some of the sustainability components, which I actually have a counterpoint to. Um, I think that that really conveys to the customer that, yes, shopping is OK. And, yeah, you should do it here. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that, you know, just based on some uh, recent experiences, you know, the other thing that it's, it's, you know, as customer expectations have returned back to normal, having a staff that is uh, well-trained, has the right positive attitude, shows a willingness to help, um, generally cares about the look of the location, the cleanliness of the location, the organization, making sure it's fully stocked, you know, uh, a few examples um recently. So, uh, you know, going into the kind of talking about it from a small business perspective, you know, I recently had a really good experience with going into my local bike shop, uh, how to bring my, I'm an avid mountain biker. I brought my bike in for some service to be done. And, you know, the, the advice and the guidance that I received from, uh, the shop manager, the way they, uh, took care of my needs, the way they were organized in scheduling the service appointment and their commitment to when my bike would be ready. So I'd be ready to take it on a out-of-state uh, mountain biking trip. You know, that coming back, picking up the bike, having everything done based on when they committed to do it, you know, it's it's about meeting your commitments. And to your point, uh, Cody, is creating confidence with the consumer. And you, you walk away with a good experience like that as a consumer. And you know what? You're going to go back. You're going to advocate for that uh, that brand and your willingness to pay more for that quote unquote level of service. You have no issue with paying a premium for that. And you see the value there because of the level of service you receive, not just simply the product you bought, but that actual additional level of service that you received. Um, I also recently had an experience this past year. We talk about Omnichannel and you know, I've been reading a lot about how do you remove friction from the experience and the fact that removing friction is such a critically important part of uh, meeting customer expectations. It's not just continuously pushing your product and service with advertising and marketing and promotions and discounts. It's also how do we make it easy for the consumer to understand the product and service? How do we make it easy for them to uh, get what they're looking for and to consume that product or service? And you know, from that respect, I got to tell you, you know, Tesla does an excellent job of that uh, during a purchase experience. You know, they make it incredibly easy to order a car. It's just simply a double click tap on your iPhone to put your deposit down. They is a completely seamless digital experience to get approved for financing. 
you know, there's no paperwork involved. There's no heavy lifting involved. You don't have to go into a location to do any of that. And then when it comes time to actually picking up your vehicle, you know, they're in contact with you via text or a phone call or an email. Um, and when you go in, when it comes time to do that painful FNI process and that painful paperwork process that generally takes hours on end when you go into a normal traditional automotive dealership, you're literally in and out of that Tesla store in less than two minutes. It's as mm. simple as tapping a few things on the mobile app, accepting the terms, and you are literally walking to your new vehicle with the Tesla representative to get your vehicle. And the amount of friction and frustration that they have removed from the purchase process has completely unended um, that type of retail experience in the automotive market. And, um, you know, that is something that I think traditional automakers are all racing to try to figure out with their dealership models and how the traditional businesses have run to remove that friction and to really meet this new level of customer expectations. I love that example for so many reasons, uh, but but one of them that I'll point out is exactly that omni-channel thing that uh, you and Young have been talking about where, you know, one of the things that Tesla does in that experience is they 90% of the time they're leveraging tools that are already in the customer's hands or that the customer has access to at home. They don't have a special system that they're using in the store when they sit you down if they're not putting you on your phone, like with the mobile app on your phone, uh, they either have a mobile app or they take you to a computer with the website loaded, um, all things that you can access. And it just creates this sense of, yeah, convenience, accessibility, lack of friction, so on and so forth. You can continue a lot of that process at home, except for a couple of those key steps. And then they've continued to look at the finalized, uh, the final steps of that um, which, as you mentioned, can be rather cumbersome. And they've asked themselves, how can we make these match the other components of the customer journey up to this point so that we're not hitting this big wall at the end? Um, so that's a great example, Rich. Thanks. Yeah. I, I have I have a, a more uh, a hot, hot, hot example than that and hot in the sense that it's about the banking system. Um, it is so fascinating to me. I was opening up another business the other week and, um, I was bottlenecked. I love, I, I love the casualness with which Young says that. Yeah. <laughs> the other day I was opening up a yeah. business. Yeah. And it was so crazy to me that Chase wouldn't let me, um, open up a business checking account unless I scheduled a meeting and came with three sets of documentation and, and I had to talk to a business banker to do it. It was a specific person. I had to match their schedule. And I'm I'm pretty busy. And so it took me almost, I think, nine days to basically schedule this meeting. Simultaneously, I had a bunch of friends. Like I was complaining about this, you know, in, in the in the ecosphere. And I had a couple of friends who were like, why are you doing that? Just open a, an account on Mercury. And I'm like, okay. And they sent me a link. And within 24 hours, I had a bank account, a business banking account on an app. Uh, free wires, all this other stuff. And I, I know it's a hot topic because the banking industry is like going through a lot of uh, a lot of issues right now. But that experience of even like retail banking is is so un un uh, innovated, uninnovated. It hasn't been innovated. And it's so fascinating that like there's so much room for disruption in um, channel execution in this omni channel, even in the most um, 
um, uh, basic functions of like banking, right? Like being able to now open up a business checking account within 24 hours, same documentation all through your phone and have all of these things like accessible to you is so incredibly powerful. And by the time I, I did end up opening a Chase account anyways, um, but I had a business banker call me uh, the next day asking how my experience was. And I basically told him, I'm like, hey, this is crazy that you have banks that now offer $5 million of FDIC insured. They take it over the phone. They'll open the stuff. Like, when are you guys going to be able to do that? And he literally didn't have an answer for me. He's like, we're, we're chase. I don't know. I'm just a, I'm just a business banker. I'm just checking to see how your experience was. And uh, it's fascinating that like, you know, if that, if that kind of service could be applied to these larger institutions, I think that there's like a huge winning chance that they can like really increase the the experience for the retail staff, but also the customers. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, with, with the advent um, of a lot of fintechs and, and digital, uh, native digital banking uh, options these days for consumers, you know, that again, just like in the Tesla model, that will continue to upend uh, customer expectations with traditional banks. Um, well, Cody and Young, I can't thank you enough uh, for your time today. Really great conversation. And to our listeners, thank you for uh, listening and tuning in. And uh, we look forward to continuing our podcast series over the next several months and to talking about other exciting and interesting topics around the retail and in-person experience. So again, thank you, Young, and thank you, Cody, for joining today. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. This was fun. Yeah, absolutely.